it was a significant client for us. And we got that client through our exit your way process. And we were looking to, to exit with them with a, a very nice return on our effort. And after about 24 months of work, they just decided to stop. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To join me, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and sign up for my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter where I share how to reduce risk and create, grow, and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guests, Damon Pistolka. Damon, are you ready to join the mission? I am ready, Andrew. <laughs> Let me introduce you to the audience. Damon earned a mechanical engineering degree in college, then worked in technical and managerial roles, including designing, building, and operating facilities. Over his decades of experience, he has led various businesses and now... He helps owners build valuable businesses that they can sell when they want to. Damon, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you're bringing to this wonderful world. Well, Andrew, I, I'm lucky enough to have a pretty diverse background. It said, I, you know, I, I thought I was going to be an engineer when I went to school, and and pretty soon I realized that I liked managing people more than doing technical work. And then the next thing you know, I was in a, I was in a fast growing company and. Uh, four or five years later, I was building and and then running manufacturing plants. And then ultimately, not too long after that, I started running manufacturing companies for investors. I started out with a family operated business, but was doing it for investors after that. And then it was multiple businesses doing turnarounds and sometimes doing more than one business turnaround at once, leading those businesses. So I got a wealth of experience and I worked with a lot of very smart people doing it. And now what I get to do is I get to help private business owners turn their businesses back around or tweak them a bit to help them be much more valuable today and actually sellable tomorrow so they can realize the the hard work they put into it. What's the reason why? I mean, most people think that business leaders are successful, they're smart, they build teams, they build businesses, but so many businesses go wrong, face problems, all that. Like, what would you say is kind of the common theme that you see of why people get themselves in trouble? Well, we go into business because we know how to do something, right? Could be, I know how to build rocket engines. I'm going to go build a rocket engine company. And I know how to build rocket engines. I don't know. I'm not the best at building teams. I'm not the best at building supply chains. I'm not the best at building design teams. I know how to build rocket engines. That is the biggest problem that we see in business is that people that are in business that are visionary enough to start a business are not necessarily the people that understand how to set up a business that's going to be valuable for the long term. Mm. It, you just think about, think about the guy that's got a, a rocket engine company, Elon Musk. He didn't go into it because he was expert at building rockets. He saw an opportunity and that's, that's interesting. I think that's that shift from how many people can truly make the shift from being like a technician and an expert in a particular area to all of a sudden managing a business, which requires, 
you've got to understand marketing. You've got to understand sales. You've got to understand customer service. You've got to understand human resource, finding good people, goal setting. How do you keep people on track? You got to mm-hmm. understand regulatory issues, you know, like all of these things. And when you're just starting your business, you're the only one, you know, and so you got to yes. kind of marginally deal with all of these areas. And most people just get overwhelmed with that. Yes, yes. And you you laid it out well, Andrew. It's It starts out that you have to do that if you're in a small business and you start out like that. You're going to wear all those different hats and do those kind of things. And what most people fail to do is to go, okay, what's the next step after this? And how do I scale? Who do I add? What's the next step after that? And the next step after that. And you'll see businesses naturally will plateau at a size. And it's because they simply, the owner cannot work any harder. And it's not that they want them to, right? But, you know, you're putting 60, 70, 80 hours. And yeah, there's limits, right? There's limits, there's, there's limits. And they don't know how to how to scale their business so they can continue to leverage others to grow beyond that. So I, I now, when people come to talk to me about starting business and, you know, one of the great things about this podcast is that, you know, just so it's a wealth of information, you know, and I've learned so Mm -hmm. much. So when people come to speak to me about, oh, I got this business idea. The main thing I ask them is how quickly can you get to $5 million in revenue? And Mm -hmm. they, they say, okay, why 5 million? And we talk about it. And I basically tell them, look, it's going to take $5 million in revenue to comfortably hire a professional management team to comfortably Mm -hmm. pay for the enterprise resource planning software you're going to need, the sales software that you're going to need, the marketing people, the regulatory people, you know, all the outsources that you're going to need for the different things. You've got Mm -hmm. to get to 5 million or you're a one man show or one woman show. And most people say, well, that wasn't really my plan to get to 5 million. <laughs> and then you realize, yeah, it's a hobby. It's a one-man show. So you've got to get so that you can afford the infrastructure. That means you're not doing it all on your own because it's just a dream. And I think for the listeners out there that are thinking about businesses or you're stuck in a business now where you're making you know, 500,000 or whatever, you've got to get to 5 million. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, my advice. T- yeah, uh, tell, me a, tell me just briefly before we get into the big question of the day. You know, you've talked about how you help owners build valuable businesses that they can sell when they want to. Maybe just give us a little brief on what you're doing and also where people can find out more about what you're doing in case they they need that. All right. Yeah. So what we're doing is basically we use the processes I developed when we were and and the other team members that I've got in our company when we developed when we were working with investor-owned businesses because in investor-owned businesses whether you're public, whether you're private, it's it's the same, right? We got value today. We know what value we have to be at tomorrow in a certain timeline. And private business owners typically don't do that. And what we do is we say, hey, your business is worth $2 million today. You need it to be worth $5 million tomorrow or two years from now when you exit. How are we going to get from A to B? What does the team look like today? What does the team look like then? How are we going to get there? And then we begin marching down the road. We same things you have to do in in most larger companies, annual budgeting down to weekly performance indicators, making sure the teams are responsible for certain portions of the business and helping them get that laid out and understanding and get the teams really working together to achieve the goals. And sometimes it's bringing in outside resources in the beginning to get things moving faster. But over time, we have to have the, the whole team building and working together towards that goal. And 
we get the teams on the weekly KPI kind of March, the in middle level management teams working on that. And then we do monthly progress updates, kind of like advisory board meetings with the, the ownership to go over, okay, here's what the financial said. Here's what your team said they're doing. Here's what they, they say they're doing moving forward. And we march them to where we need to go. So it sounds like it's goal setting and team building coordination, communicating back the targets that you're going for and giving feedback to the management team and the owner as to, you know, where are we at? And then it's driving that forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's basically what we do is we bring professional business processes into an entrepreneur led business that to allow it to go to the next level. And how long does it take to make an impact? Let's say, you know, you come in for your first month, let's say someone hires you, you know, you're not gonna be able to make a huge impact maybe in the first couple of weeks, the first months, the mm -hmm. first three months or six mm -hmm. months, but how long yeah. does it take before someone says, okay, I really starting to feel the impact of this? You can feel the impact in 90 days. And in 24 to 36 months, you can quadruple, quintuple the value of your business. It's, and you see that is that that opportunity there for most businesses, and it's just like it's sitting there, and they just can't pull it together it because of legacy and other issues. Unless you're unless you're constrained by market, you know, I just can't go any bigger because of my market, or there's some specially kind of equipment thing in manufacturing where that timeline and the the mm. expense for it's going to kill you. Usually there is, yeah, you know, in the in the spaces that we work in healthcare and construction and and, and manufacturing e-commerce usually it's it is very doable exciting and uh, where should people go if they want if there's let's say a listener is going yeah i think i need that <laughs> yeah, they, they can uh, they can check me out on on linkedin damon pasalka i post them I'm, I'm there but also they can go to our website exityourway.com just like it sounds that's cool well now it's time to share your worst investment ever and since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be. Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. All right. Well, my worst, worst investment ever is shortly when we started our current company, Exit Your Way. We, we, we had what would have been considered a, a dream client. And our worst investment ever was we allowed that client to be far too much of our overall business. Mm -hmm. This is common in, in smaller businesses, especially when we're starting up. And it was a significant client for us. And we got that client through our exit your way process. And we were looking to to exit with them with a, a very nice return on our effort. And after about 24 months of work, they just decided to stop. And what do you mean stop? Like we were sitting at the table one day with a buyer that was willing to pay them actually more than $10 million more than what they had initially said they wanted to sell the business for. And they just said, no, I think it's worth more than that. And it was, it was seven figures is mm -hmm. what we were talking about. It cost us in that single conversation in a newer business. So it was, uh, it was quite a, quite a blow to us when we did that. And it was quite a, the, the investment in time that we had put into it, we had not built other clients up. I mean, basically, we started our business over. Mm. We started our business over again. Not only did we not get paid, but we started our business over and it took us almost 12 months to get back after that. 
And just so I understand, I guess you were compensated not by, let's say, having a stake in their company. You were compensated by some portion of the exit value. The proceeds from the sale. Okay, yeah. got it. That so was tell- the vast majority of how we were going to yeah. get paid. All right, so tell me the lessons that you learned. First of all, never, never. I had a lot of trust in this person. And we had thought about changing our contract before we did this to say that there were some more out clauses because we are significantly leveraging our time against future value with clients. And we had not done that. Now we do that. And it's it's very clear. I mean, that client today, yeah, they wouldn't pay us a full amount, but we would still get enough to we go, okay, it's stung, but we're we're going to move on. That's the first thing. The second thing is we are much more diligent with our our clients about really understanding what it means when you have life-changing money in front of you and turn it down and the risks that that can mean. I mean, because we're talking about this is a person that was going to be able to set their, their family up with generational wealth and walked away from it and has has subsequently i think their business is still generating money but i don't i don't i don't know how well it is but i'm i'm certain there's probably not as as good as it was positioned then mm. and this is things that we see a lot though in in the industry of investment banking or or business sales is that get to the end and owners get nervous about taking that amount of money and it's really something that they they need to to think long and hard out well before they start because if you got that line in the sand and you get that number that you know that your financial planners and everybody and your tax advisor says, hey, that's enough money to do whatever you want to do next, take it and go. Because just think how many people in the in the U.S. and in, in the real estate got caught in the real estate downturn. And then they were in their businesses again for another 10 years as they went up. And then we hit COVID and did the same darn thing to some of these people. I mean, business is not good forever. Mm. And I'm just, uh, yeah, I, I'm taking some notes as I'm listening to you, and it brings up a lot of things that I was thinking about. The first thing is concentration risk, whether you're concentrated yep. in a small number of stocks in a portfolio, whether you're concentrated in a certain product, a certain region, a certain customer, everybody needs to be careful. Now, the problem you have when you start business, you're naturally going to have concentration risk. Yes, you do. And so then you really, really have to work hard. And we had a particular customer in our coffee business that was huge. And we basically said, we have to bring this down, not through reducing revenue from them, of course, but Mm -hmm. increasing revenue. And then we did. Eventually, we lost that customer over time. And it, it wasn't that painful. And so concentration risk is a major one. The second thing is... When you're starting a business, the reality is, and when you're doing business, the reality is you, you're going you're gonna to have losses like this because mm-hmm. you're figuring out your model and you're going to mm-hmm. be testing things and seeing you know, what works and what doesn't. You know, I had a, a case in my business, one of my consulting clients or advising clients, and basically normally we work with the owners, but for some reason we got working with the CEO and the, the operator. And the owner was in a different country. They had contributed a lot of money and they were all very well. They all got along really well. Mm -hmm. But in the end, we got kind of stuck with the 
the CEO's interests, not the owner's interests. And then I realized uh, we can't untangle this and it's going to get worse. And the owner is going to feel like we're representing the interests of the CEO. We don't want that. We want to represent the interests of the owner. And we, we had to exit and we lost a little mm-hmm. bit in that, but we, I just knew we had to get out of this. And so yeah. you're going to have losses in the beginning. That's the second thing that I would take away as you work those things out, because you said that you, you got better at, you know, the way you did it. And then the third thing is, you know, one of the issues that we're always faced in business is, is particularly like some of the opportunities is do we get compensated in a payment or a fee? Do we get compensated in a percent of a transaction or do we get compensated in a percent of shares in a company? And all of them have their pros and cons. If you had been compensated as a share in the company, then you would have been able to continue to get any cash flows that was coming from that company. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of other issues about being stuck as a minority shareholder in a private business. So, mm-hmm. but the point is, is that for the listeners and the viewers out there, think about these three. Now, one of the ways that we do it sometimes is we say, look, if we like the business and we're working with them, we'll say you can pay half of your payment through shares. But we have to be the financial people, you know, running the finances or else we're not going to do it. And if it's a small business or medium sized business. And then the last thing is to the owners out there is don't be overconfident when you get a good deal on the table, you know, take it. And I represented a company and we sold the, the company, a friend of mine's company to Microsoft. And when we flew there to do the final deals, you know, my communication, to everybody was, we're going to leave with a deal and we're going to work to get the highest price that we can get, but there's going to come a point where we're going to stop. And then when, when I met with the Microsoft guys the night before, I basically talked to them and said, look, your, your price is way too low. We're here to sell this business, but the price is way too low. And I was of course, just setting an anchor that we then went Mm -hmm. to negotiate on the next day. So when you get that deal and it's close, because my client wanted a hundred million for their business and we got it up to 85. And I told my client, look, take the 85. And they did. So those are the things that I took away from what you said. Is there anything else you'd add to that? No, I think you've summed it up well, Andrew. That's those are great, great lessons for people to take away from this. Yeah. It's such a fascinating you know, way to get paid as a small business, as an advisor. There's so many things to think about. So I think you've given the listeners and the audience the ability to kind of, to think it through a little bit and and know that they should. So based upon what you learned from this story, you know, let's go back in time. When you first signed the deal with these guys and got on board with them and all of that, and let's imagine another person who's got a business similar to yours. And here they are and you know, let's say in uh, in Mumbai, and they're working with a potential client, just like yours, same situation. What one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Well, make sure there's an out, there's an out clause for you, for them. If, if in the end, if someone wants to say no, that's fine. But if you're, if you're leveraging a majority of your, your payment on a certain future event, and you you've put your end of that bargain in come to terms with what that means if the event never happens even if you performed mm. okay 
And and what would that look like now if you went into that and how would oh, you Oh for us now it's it's we figure about what we're going to do and and we say okay it's it's this much percentage of the total we would normally get for the for the thing and you can walk away at that point and so that's it's not an easy decision to make but it's a mm. decision they can make and everybody yep. feels good walking out of it and you do that before you get in Yep What's a resource you'd recommend a resource of your own or any others feel free you mean to do this? No, no, just, just, well, for either this or anything that you'd like to recommend to the audience to learn more about this or what you're doing or anything else. Well, you know, we've, we've got a lot of guides and videos on our, our website. They can look yep. at the exityourway.com website and look at a lot of things there. And if they, if they just want to reach out, we can talk about it, their situation. I certainly, <laughs> I'll just talk to people about that right. and help them. So just go to exityourway.com. Exit com. I like the name of that, by the way. That's great. All right. Awesome. Last question. What's your number right. one goal for the next 12 months? Number one goal for the next 12 months is we are undertaking a fairly significant marketing content development project that I think is going to transform the way that we do business, quite honestly. We've got, we're about four months into it. We've got about the, you know, eight more months of it before we have the foundational things completed. But yeah, it's going to make a, make a big difference. How we're doing. That's what we're doing this year. Exciting. Well, listen, yes. there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. If you've not yet joined that mission, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter to reduce risk in your lives. As we conclude, Damon, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Thank you for having me, Andrew. My pleasure. And we enjoyed it. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect your well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today. We added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.